Hi, everyone. I've got a real treat for you. On this week's episode of Physio Foundations, I'm talking to specialist sports and exercise physiotherapist Randall Cooper and APA sports and exercise physiotherapist Mick Hughes from Learn.Physio. And we're going to talk about the foundational knowledge and skills that help them become leaders in the field of ACL injury and management. Welcome to the Physio Foundations podcast, a podcast about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. I'm your host, Luke Periton, and in this episode, I'm joined by both Randall Cooper and Mick Hughes from Learn.Physio. And as an extra special bonus, I'm also joined by the other half of Periton Physio, Susanna Periton. And I'm going to introduce Mick and Randall, and I'll introduce Susanna properly on her episode, which is coming up soon. And then we'll break into a panel discussion with me asking some questions and everyone chipping in. So let's start with an introduction first, then I'll bring the guys on. So Randall is an internationally recognized sports physiotherapist who's worked with Olympic athletes, famous footballers, and lots of other everyday athletes and people with sports injuries. Uh, Randall is going to be really well known to a lot of you um, as uh, in the Musk physio world, especially as a physiotherapist for AFL football players and winter Olympic athletes. He's the co-founder and CEO of the skincare company Premax and the physio education uh, company Learn.Physio. Randall's also a specialist sports physio as recognized by the Australian College of Physiotherapists and an adjunct senior lecturer at the Latrobe University Sports and Exercise Medicine Research Center. And he's also published lots of ACL articles in high impact journals. So he's the triple threat, the singing, dancing and acting. And Randall's partner in crime and the other half of Learn.Physio is Mick Hughes. Mick's an APA titled sports and exercise physio. He's also very well known to many of you out there for his work translating research and providing clinical education via social media and his blog and YouTube channel. Mick's just relocated with his family to Townsville, far north Queensland, and he's previously worked with many athletes in the Melbourne Sports Medicine Centre and high-level sports teams and athletes. So mixed clinical special interest is ACL injuries as well, and we'll talk about that. We're really have, lucky to have these guys on the podcast for a chat. I'm sure you're looking forward to hearing from them. Um, so let's get on with it. Without further ado, Mick and Randall, welcome to Physio Foundations. Thanks, Luke. It's, uh, it's a nice nice introduction, mate. Thanks for all the kind words. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for asking us to come on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Luke and Susanna. It's, it's, it's great talking to you today. Thank you for coming. Let's go. Let's get straight into it. Um, we've we've got ACLs to talk about and your your work with Learn.Physio, but in this first episode, we're going to do part one and part two and release them weekly um, because it's sort of a different theme of each one. In the first part, I want to talk to you about how you got to where you are. And so the theme of this podcast is the foundational knowledge and skills that provide that, you know, that base for expertise. So Let's start with you, Randall. We'll go back and forward. We'll bring Susanna into the chat uh, as, an, as another expert. Um, I've already given the listeners a bit of background on your qualifications and achievements and specialization, but can you tell us a bit more about what led you to being interested in being a physio? And then from there, what led you to being interested in specializing and, you know, specializing in ACL injuries and knees and, and sports physio? Well, I was um, unfortunate enough in year 11 to have a really rough year medically. Um, I was skiing up at uh, Threadbow and um, I decided to go and jump off a big rock. And on landing, I, uh, I, had a, I blew out my knee. I did an ACL and MCL. 
and I had no idea about knee injuries at the time, obviously being 16, um, but I needed a ACL reconstruction. And that was the easy bit because um, I then, about two and a half months after that, acquired Guillain-Barre syndrome and um, spent like two to three months um, in the Austin hospital recovering simultaneously from an ACL reco and also Guillain-Barre syndrome as well. And up until that point, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I toyed with the idea of becoming a chef. I toyed with the idea of becoming a pilot. But my, my world was just opened up to medicine and exercise and physiotherapy. And the way that those uh, health professionals and exercise scientists impacted me was profound. And I don't use that word often, um, but it was a massive turning point in my life. And I thought that if, this, if I can do that for someone else, and they can have an impact on, I can have an impact on them like they had an impact on me. What a great career. So I was one of those students at school who was just happy to kind of get through on some level of base ability. Um, always could apply himself more was the bottom of every single school report. <laughs> um, but once I, once I kind of had these medical issues when I was 16, it just changed. And um, I kind of got my act into gear and I wanted to go and do physio. And I got into physiotherapy and just loved the degree. And then from that point on, that's where I thought, mm, yeah, sport and sports medicine is where I want to head. So that's the background to me being a physio. There's a real personal story there, isn't there, where you've 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 seen the the positive effect that really high quality care can can bring. I wasn't expecting that. That's a, quite a story. Do you, yeah, you want to just it, it, sorry? I was going to say, do you want to just explain what? Guillain-Barre is just generally? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it's a it's an autoimmune, it's neurological autoimmune disease. Um, they don't know why people acquire it, but essentially what happens is that um, the, the body undergoes some level of um, immune trauma. So it's usually you just get a bad cold or virus or something like that. And then for some reason, the um, the immune system then switches around and rather actually attacking the virus, it attacks the myelin sheaths around your nerves and it, de- it demyelinates your peripheral nervous system over time. And I went from being a pretty healthy kind of 16-year-old boy who was recovering from an ACL um, to intensive care in seven days. And it's, it's, it's very much like um, uh, um, MS, um, but a lot worse. I, I couldn't move. Um, it, it, it's essentially like you, you get paresthesia and anesthesia. You also kind of lose um, coordination and also strength in your limbs. And if it gets bad enough, um, it also can affect the muscles of respiration. Um, so people who are um, kind of bad enough will actually need to be respirated in hospital. I didn't quite get there. I was close. Um, but like I was weak, but so weak that I couldn't turn in bed and I had trouble shutting my eyelids to go to sleep. So that, that's how weak I got with Guillain-Barre syndrome. And, you know, my parents were freaked out. But for me, um, you know, and it was obviously a low point kind of in my life right at that time. But as I started to get better and as I started to, to kind of learn more about the body and medicine and exercise, um, the more it just stimulated my, my wants and needs to, to kind of get into this area. And here I am, what, 30 years later, still doing it. What a story. Thanks for sharing that, Randall. What about you, Mick? How did you get interested in being a physio? Because you're former, formerly an exercise physiologist. You bring that, those knowledge and skills into your physio and, and then into a yeah. specialty in ACLs. Yeah, I think I certainly don't. I don't have the, the wonderful story, uh, heartbreaking story that Randall Randall has um, and, and the fight for survival and, and the return to, to the best. 
but I certainly, um, yeah, I think like most physios, I think we've um, I heard this you know, familiar story that we were, you know, athletes that never quite made it, um, had played multiple sports throughout their you know, junior schooling and high schooling and, and sustained a few injuries along the way and found themselves on a physio table numerous times. And, and I've, you know, like having that same story with me, multiple you know, ankle sprains. Um, I never had anything serious, to be honest. I have, I've actually never taught my ACL, despite my strong interest in it. I've ruptured my PCL playing basketball which um, still sort of uh, is quite loose to this very day, 22 years later. Um, but that was those moments there growing up and, and seeing the inside of uh, a physiotherapist clinic and, and seeing the wonderful things that they were doing um, kind of like really resonated strongly with me. And being, once again, similar to Randall in that oh, I always could have tried harder in both primary school and high school. I never got those grades that made me or enabled me to go straight into physiotherapy school from high school so that's that's where the exercise science came along I was really interested obviously in sport and PE did well in those subjects growing up and then um, yeah those combinations of you know playing lots of sport exercise science degree and knowing that I I had probably a little bit more to offer not the exercise professional than exercise physiology is um not a bad career choice i just always felt this burning desire to be a physio um but i always, always knew that exercise science was always going to lay a great foundation for my physiotherapy career in the future too i, I felt even from an early age those two skill sets combined could, could make for a very good physio so but that's kind of yeah how it started for me from um, a lot of ankle sprains as a young basketballer if we take it take it all back uh, but yeah that's yeah, that, that's uh, that's my little little story. Good on you, Mick. Thanks, thanks for that. Um, in so students in particular listening to this, see, it's not all about the grades. There's an important story there, and something's got to get it get you out of bed in the morning and and motivate you to do all the work that you need to do across your career. Yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll add that. Story. Sorry, Mike. I'll just add to that too. Just once again, I think even for those you know, physio students that are there, I was also pretty a pretty rubbish uh, first and second year physio student. I didn't really come home strong until third and fourth year after my clinical placements and actually got to treat patients and be in a clinical setting and that kind of stuff. So, and, um, yeah, then master's placements as well in, in the future, you know, upon graduation too. So even if you um, feel like you might not be doing that great in the grades, some people just being in that clinical environment really sings to them um, and being out there touching patients, having involvement on a day-to-day setting is probably the thing that really sparks a desire to learn and get better as physios too. So you, you might even be a late bloomer like myself. You probably didn't really hit their straps till they were 40. You know, I, I agree with that. I had a I had a friend on a clinical placement and I was struggling because I had, you know, the top students with me and they, they knew all the knowledge, you know, that they'd memorised the textbook and I hadn't. And so I was really stressed out. And then my friend just said, look, Susanna, don't worry about them. Just learn from your patient. You know, whoever you get put in front of you, learn from them. And it just, it then made that relationship with the knowledge and using it that then stuck into my mind and that's when I started really enjoying it. Um, so, yeah, just like you, like once you get to that patient and actually seeing how to apply what you've learned, um, it yeah. just really makes it, it, yeah, it really makes it. Mm. Yeah. So especially if you're a student in the first and second year of your course, you know, it's a long game, so keep going. Yeah. That's some really good points. Guys, what about being a sports physio? 
So all three of you were sports physios. And um, so what, what does a sports physio do? Who are some of the people you work with? What do you do? What do you love about it? Perhaps um, to Randall first. Um, well, the sports physiotherapists can do a lot of things. Um, they, you know, I don't think there's actually kind of one model and, and it's changed enormously over the last 10 or 15 years. For me, I felt that I was extremely lucky because I uh, personally was able to work in elite sport and I also worked with um, athletes of all levels kind of in the clinic. So Susanna and I know each other from the Olympic Park Sports Medicine Centre in Melbourne. And in that setting, um, I would have everyone from, you know, 10-year-old young netballers who have sprained their ankles all the way through to Olympic athletes. Um, I Generally, most of my clinical life, I did about half and half. So I spent about half my time in the clinic and about half my time working with elite sports teams. So the clinical work, most people would be quite familiar with that. Um, uh, most physios will, will see patients every half an hour, three quarters of an hour, hour if um, you're being generous with your time. Um, you'll work with that person to um, uh, uh, help them achieve their physical goals and, and get over their injuries and their problems. And then in the elite sports um, setting, I uh, was fortunate enough to work with AFL team. I worked with Hawthorne for about six, seven years, also with the Winter Olympic um, Australian um, team and again the, the role there was quite different so with the football for instance um, you know I would be there for treatment sessions at the football club would be there for training sessions before and after to get the players prepped and also recovered after the, the sessions and then obviously be there on game day as well but my work with um, like the Olympic winter team was very different where I'd actually travel and I'd be on the road for sometimes up to six weeks I'd be six weeks away from home and it was kind of nice in some ways because with football, you've got 44 athletes to look after. When I was traveling with the skiers, like I usually had four. So <laughs> there was a little bit of time to um, um, to, to kind of uh, do some extra study, um, think about other uh, opportunities and ventures, but also when you're traveling around the world is actually go and see some uh, different places and sites and whatnot as well. So it, it, it can be quite varied. That's just my experience. So I know, Mick, you've had, you know, so, so slightly different. So I might throw across to you, mate. And um, Yeah. Get, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. just echoing what, what Randall said with the roles and responsibilities of a physio. My um, sports physio experience um, was uh, quite varied in my early stages. Um, so I worked when I, as a new grad, I worked, and this is before my titling. So, you know, often that sports physiotherapist often has to, you know, do probably at least a minimum of five years of um, sports experience, but also then clinical experience to then sort of enter in the, into the postgraduate courses and, and, and that kind of stuff. But I, I cut my teeth in rugby league here in Townsville as a new grad. Um, and then moved to uh, Newcastle, where I was involved in an elite uh, junior soccer program um, with Newcastle. And then we relocated to Melbourne, where I was involved. Um, and then got my first, you know, you know, I guess, full-time head uh, physio gig with the Collingwood Magpie, Magpies netball team in, the, in their first year in a competition. And so, um, yeah, it's... I. That was, that, was, that was my journey and I think my experience with the netball and probably netball was probably my first real taste of what it actually is, what Randall described. You know, you're there day in, day out, you're at training sessions, um, you're actively involved and in, in triaging acute injuries that may happen at training and or, and or games. You're there through the week to give treatment sessions uh, to those that need it. Um, you're there monitoring the gym sessions, you're, you're testing, you're assessing players' um, readiness to, to train and play. Um, but also to 
having regular uh, in-depth conversations with the club doctor, strength conditioning coaches, coaches, assistant coaches, high performance managers. Like it's just a, quite a complex um, environment to be in, especially in that elite world. And I, in netball at that time, I was um, pretty low, lowly staffed in, in a way that I was the only physiotherapist with the club with a, with a group of 10 to 15 players. Um, one sports, uh, one strength and conditioning coach, one one doctor. And AFL land, we might have up to you know four physios working for a club in varying capacities: two full timers, two part timers, um, and other coach to have a varying amount of you know medical staff, exercise professionals, sports scientists, head coaches, assistant coaches, all that kind of stuff. So it was nice to be in, involved in netball because it was kind of like just a one one way command. It was only yeah you know, a small group of individuals to make these decisions for the athlete or help athletes make those decisions on playing availability and training. So um, I had a great experience. Um, and, and to be honest, I, um, and I guess another thing I wanted to bring up was that, you know, like I always thought going through my sports physio training is like, if you're going to all this effort to become a sports physiotherapist, wouldn't you want to work in sport for, forever and ever? And after playing, being involved in sport for a year, I'd, I'm actually quite happy not to go back to the professional sporting environment as well and, and just consult and do do what I've basically done for the last couple of years in Melbourne and what Randall did there for a while is um, you've got a really meaningful role to give to both you know, semi-professional, professional, you know, sub-elite athletes as a sports physiotherapist in a clinical setting. You don't have to go to training sessions, you know, night in, night out lose your weekends and travelling and all that kind of stuff as much as that can be really cool and fun for a while. I think when you get a bit older and you start having kids and family and you start to prioritise how important family life is, um, you happily let those training sessions go to someone who um, maybe have a bit more time and freedom and you can take a back seat and you know, still have the fun stuff and still consult in the sports physio way, uh, but do it in a clinic rather than that team environment. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my little bits of uh, wisdom there if anyone wants to take them on board. That's brilliant. Well, you've you've answered. You both answered one of our questions, which was how does it your work differ, you know, in a elite sports environment versus, um, you know, in a clinic with non elite athletes. Do you have anything else that Randall perhaps to, to add to that question, or? Well, can I have a? Oh, please, oh, Susanna. Susanna's here. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, very, I'm very similar to Randall in that um, I've travelled with the Winter Paralympic uh, team, and I've done ten years in footy. Um, and ended up in, you know, in an AFL club as well. So what I really love about working with elite athletes or just with the team is how the relationships you gain with the players, um, it really becomes, you become friends. And the other thing that is really nice, so you look forward to going to work, is the injuries. There's so many, but you see all parts of the injury and you're in charge of the injuries in terms of you'll be a, a lot of times you might be able to see the actual injury happen and you're able to assess it there and then which you can't do in a clinic so when you're, you're in a clinic you're really um, relying on what they're telling you has happened whereas particularly sort of in the AFL they can replay it you know they'll have a tablet there on the sideline and they can replay it from video footage straight away you know which way did the knee go which way did the ankle go when they fell um, that sort of thing so that's really quite exciting the other thing and this is where Randall and Mick really 
uh, instrumental in setting up, um, you know, your ACL assessments and programs and rehab is that experience of when you are looking after a team, it's up to you to do the rehab. And if they fail the rehab, then you have to look at what you did. Because in a clinic, if someone, say they've had a hamstring strain and they come to you and you've you've treated them, you've gone, say, six weeks, intensive rehab, they've returned to sport and they've restrained it, they're not necessarily going to come back to you and you don't necessarily know that outcome. You just may assume that they've, you know, gone successfully because it might be the second or third game in that they restrain. So you might follow up and say, how'd you go? And they yeah, yeah, it was fine after the first game. And then they might go see somewhere someone else. But when you're working with a team, it's really up to you and it's it's that reflection of looking back at what you did with that player that you really, really learn. I mean, what do you think about that, Mick and Randall? I might chime in with that one because I, I think that you make a, a really excellent point, Susanna, and that is is that um, you can you can you, you're totally accountable uh, when you're in that elite sports environment. Um, you have to do the rehab, and if it doesn't go all that well, there's nowhere to hide. But a lot of clinicians who only work in in private practice, um, they get a godlike um, kind of thought about themselves because all they experience is people getting better, and the ones who um, aren't getting better and dissatisfied just don't come back. They don't write bad letters or they don't complain on Facebook very very rarely anyway. Um, so you do, some practitioners get this godlike complex that they, they think that they cure around and all the time and it's a bit unhealthy at times. Whereas when you're, in, when you're working with sports people in the team and you've got to be there from start to finish and also three months after it too, um, you, you know whether you're doing a good job or not. And if you're not, uh, you, you'll find out about it really quickly. Yep. And yep. the other but, thing, um, oh yeah, Jamie. Oh yeah, no, I was just going to echo those kind of things, and I, yeah, like to be honest, it, it does make you accountable. Um, and you know, I lost a, a couple of yeah sleepless nights, you know, dwelling over the injury data on a player that we had in our club who sustained a second ACL injury, you know, in our, in our club, and that's you know, like you, you do, like it just when you, you when you're the, the person that is accountable for these athletes, it does make you reflect and go back and and look for you know, could you do things better, which I think is really positive, and if you. You know, like you might take it, you know, some of the injuries to heart early on in, in your sports career, but ultimately it's a learning experience um, and it's probably one of the best learning experiences you'll get um, throughout your physio career. Exactly. And I think your uh, previous guest that you had on here, Luke, was saying, you know, you don't, you don't look at it and think of it as you failed. Um, you look at it and say, okay, what could I have done better or what could have changed? Because it might not even be you that's done it. I know... Um, countless physios who have handballed, you know, the strength and conditioning to someone else um, and hadn't had that smooth transition from rehab to strength and conditioning and then the athlete um, has re-injured. And so then, you know, really looking at sort of the processes behind there, you know, what, what were the outcomes, uh, what were the aims, et cetera, what, what, did, what needed to happen and what didn't happen. So it's, it's really good in terms of I think the other thing that sports physiotherapy you get a lot out of compared to um, some of the other, well, like if you're just like in private practice like you're talking about, Randall, is that sports medicine team um, and you, you touched on that, Mick, as well, that it's really working with other professionals and really being um, 
you know, interdisciplinary. If you travel with a small team, like you said, Randall, you know, you might just have four athletes. Um, you end up being a dog's body. You're not just a physio. You might end up having to be the massage therapist. You might have to be, uh, you know, the strength and conditioning coach. You might have to be uh, the person that takes all the equipment up onto the snow, you know, all of that. You might be, I mean, I remember freezing my hand doing the videoing <laughs> up in Vale and every time because you just the fingers to focus in and out had to be out of the glove and you just had this frozen hand. But I, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, travelling with sporting teams. It's it's a completely different experience to clinic and I think that's what's exciting about sports physiotherapy is all those different things that learning from others. I know that um, Randall and Mick just working in a team, I don't know about you, but I learned so much from other professionals, you know, particularly doctors, um, you know, being able to come up with the scans there and there and looking at them and talking about them um, and having everyone's perspective and, you know, prognosis discussions there and then um, with multiple. Because I think in a clinic that's one thing that we probably don't get a lot of is that, you know, talking about who you've just seen, what you've just seen in your plan. I mean, you do that obviously with the patient or the athlete, but you don't necessarily get feedback from other um, professionals. Speaking with three highly experienced sports physios and then I'm loving it, uh, really what we've talked about so far has really been the experience, your personal experiences and um you know, reflections on what you're doing. Let's finish off this part one with a, a little bit of a list, perhaps for um, for clinicians, practitioners of all levels, um, students, new grads, anyone. Um, if you were starting again, if you were building yourself back up or building yourself up into towards expertise, let's talk about the the most important knowledge and skills the sports physio needs to have. And it's nice that we've framed it already with quite a broad discussion. And what you've just said, it's not going to be just uh, physical examination skills, but we can think, talk as broadly as we like. What about you first, Randall? What, what knowledge and skills do you really need every day to do a good job as a sports physio? Luke, this is a really hard question because um, as I'm sure everyone will nod their head when they say this, I mean, experience counts for so much and you need to know a lot, you know, and, and it's not only kind of, you know, the, the um, yeah, anatomy and physiology and applied biomechanics and um, all those things that we learn in university. And I think following on from, you know, Susanna's comment about before about, you know, some of these softer skills and learning from others. I mean, sometimes you're dealing with quite intense situations, you know, like you do have someone who, you know, you work with a sports team, they redo their hamstring, for instance, and they're devastated about it. Like you've got to you've got to have almost like a psychologist's hat on to, to be able to kind of deal with that situation rather than just being a clinician going, oh yeah, you've had another grade two hamstring, in, you know, a biceps femoris, and it's going to be a six week injury. It's like, no, you need to treat them as a human. So I think that you know, as far as the skills, and I don't say this lightly, and I consider this is a considered comment, by the way, is is I think that the some of the most successful practitioners that I've ever been around in my life are the ones who communicate the best and, and get on with people well and can articulate their message really well. They clearly know their stuff, but you've got to have both. You've got to have, you've got to understand the science. You've got to be good with people. So they're the two skill sets that people really need to build. Yeah. What do you yeah, think, Nick? I, I, I echo those completely. Yeah. You, 
the, the foundations that you learn at university, you know, the, the way you, um, your understanding of anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, absolutely, it all it all helps. Um, but it's those soft, yeah, soft skills, so to speak. Yeah, soft skills are actually quite hard, like to be empathetic, to communicate well, um, to, you know, like to, to act as that psychologist and to be that sounding board to people, like it all, it actually is a lot harder than than what it what it seems sometimes, and it's not for everyone. You know, some people just don't have that that ingrained you know, personality to be empathetic or you know like to sit and listen. Um, and look, but that's that that'll be the difference between someone who's being who is an outstanding you know, sports physiotherapist who will have a long career in in the game compared to someone who you know maybe textbook savvy and textbook smart and know all the tech and you can be able to sort of use assessment. Yeah, you know, pieces like you know, force plates and jump data and all that kind of stuff. They might be able to analyze the crap out of that. Um, but if they can't have a conversation with someone and and relay that information in a in a um, in a way that both the athlete and the coach understands it, um, that they might not find their career lasts that long in in the sports video world. So, but def- definitely, but that comes with time, right? Like that, and I think I've become, and and sometimes it just comes with your own personal experience. Like I've become a much I think better clinician after having kids. Um, just having young kids to negotiate with every day. Um, you know, I can just, you know, to talk to, communicate with, you know, that that level of patience that you gain from being a parent. Like, you know, those kind of things and some of the things that get thrown away on a on a life on a daily basis sort of comes with just what happens. You know, as you get older and you might have family and that kind of stuff. So. Um, yeah, these are the things that happen with time. And I think as as a new as a sports physiotherapist, even when you're surveying five years out and you might be halfway through your postgrad uh, sports cert, or you might have just started you know, your masters of, of sports physio, you might be sort of you know, really you know, chomping at the bit to get out there and you think you might be the best you know, sports physio that's going to have a long career and, and ultimately it's probably going to be those next five or ten years that really um, you know, sharpen you up and, and and make you make you see are uh, you gonna you know be one of the best and or are you happy just to sort of sit back and and you know, go go on with life in, in a different way um so yeah look i definitely you know to sum it all up i think absolutely those soft skills and communication skills uh, are a big difference between a, a good sports physio and a, and a bloody excellent one it's such a good segue because my last episode was on communication and explaining things to people in a, in a clinical environment. And, and then it was Brian Kim, who Susanna mentioned, who's a grad of Monash Physio, who was talking about the, the same, the importance when I asked him the same question and I, you know, follow up questions, I was thinking he was going to talk about his anatomy and physiology and assessments. He, he, he was focusing on the person as well. So um, Susanna, you, you've come back from work many times and told me um, similar um, stories about, you know, your, how you've been successful really through interacting with people and coaches and more than just impairments and things you've measured. Do you have anything add, to add to that, what the guys have said? I think the, the other thing that's glaringly obvious that we've admitted is uh, as a sports physio, the mental health side of it. So, Mick, you, you've said, you know, sitting down and listening to them because sometimes it's, you know, that mental health of continuing, that's where they get the, you know, with sport, the social, all of that sort of stuff, that's where, you know, they're quite happy. And when they get injured, you know, it, it's really quite tough. And, you know, I've seen many patients that say, 
they love running and that's what they do. They get out of the, you know, they get into their zone, you know, away from the kids, all of that, and that's their happy place and then they have an injury and they go see someone and that, that person says, no, you can't run, you know, you've got to stop running. And I think that's where a sports physio, um, and that's why you go and do a, a, another degree, you've got to go do your master's, is really understanding, you know, the, the intricacies of sport and the different sports. So what what is it that they need, um, et cetera, and being able to tailor make, um, you know, your management to to their sport. So how do you modify it? Because I, from, from my point of view, I find people improve if you can keep them in sport or keep them in, you know, active rather than taking them completely out and saying, okay, we just got to let this heal and let's just do some passive um, work here. Um, I find if you, even if they can't run, a lot of times they can walk, they can still have that headspace um, and they can do little drills, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really acknowledging the, the sports and what is essential for that particular sport, which is going to be different from football, different from skiing, different from netball, different from rugby. And like you said, um, Mick Randall, to, to be a good sports physio, you've got to sort of understand the sport that you're in as well. Guys, we're um, near the end of part two, but near the end of part one. <laughs> oh, you wish you were at the end of part two. Um, the Winter Olympics are on, 2022 Winter Olympics are on right now. Randall, you've worked with Winter Olympic athletes in the past. Um, Favourite Winter Olympic moments? Do you have any? Oh, I've got plenty. I mean, obviously there's some that are personal and, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to go to the 2006 Winter Olympics in Turin and the lead up to that was um, just a, a massive roller coaster because um, we had two of our medal prospects, um, Elisa Camplin and Lydia Lasilla, uh, both do their, their ACLs um, within seven months of, of going and competing at the Games. So I had to do, or we, I should say, we had to do an accelerated rehab program for both of them. And um, they're both looking great uh, leading into the Games and then um, I suppose this is just sport and sports, the story that writes itself and it's full of drama and we're seeing that right at the moment. Um, but Elisa walked away with a bronze medal when she thought she wouldn't even podium and, and Lydia redid her knee um, going in the best jumper of the, uh, of the of that tournament at that point uh, and needed another ACL reconstruction. So I suppose that's kind of going back to what we were talking about before about, you know, being accountable. Um, that was, that was a, bittersweet games for me. Um, but I suppose, you know, and Susanna, I'm sure you'll probably um, agree with me. It's it's once you've kind of been involved in a sport um, such as for me, like winter sport in Australia, you can't not really kind of continue to follow on anyway now. So um, just even watching these games in Beijing at the moment, it's just terrific to see how successful the Aussies have been. Um, even some of them are competing there at the moment. I've, I've been, uh, I've helped with their rehab to kind of get them to these games as well. So that's extremely satisfying to watch as well. So, but it's not all about me. Um, it's just nice to kind of watch sport, um, particularly after the last couple of years um, with with some crowds and, and being able to compete for real medals. What about you, Mick? There's um, must be a lot of chatter on the streets of Townsville about Winter Olympics. There's a hot place. Oh, maybe there is. What's your favourite moment? Funnily enough, I, we've been tuning into some of them, but one of the funniest stories that came out, I didn't know this, this guy, uh, the basic, there's a, there's a luge character, his name's Alex, Randall might 
remember his name, but the name, the last name escapes me, but he's actually a Townsville boy. Um, he competed, I think he, he think he finished maybe 10th in the Luge just recently in, the, in these games. And the, the backstory to him is, is that as a teenager, that, so in Townsville, there's this big, big hill, big winding hill, big lookout point. It's called, there's one close to town called Castle Hill, but there's one at the back of town, which is a bit bigger, more steeper, uh, called Mount Stewart. So apparently as a young teenager, he'd get down on these long, like a, um, a, a big long skateboard um, and basically just hurl down Mount Stewart um, at, at a rate of knots for his training. And his mum would be down at the bottom of the hill blocking traffic to, to so, so they didn't, you know, smash into him on the way down. So Thanks, mum. I thought that was Alex, Alex Belazo. For, for, for Thanks, Randall. Um, so sorry, Alex, if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, but if, uh, yeah, so Alex, who's just a stream down the hill, that was my, uh, yeah, it's an awesome story that they came out of that. But um, look, I'm a lover of all sports and um, I, I'm venturing into the Winter Olympics most nights. And I, and I, I just, yeah, it's just a unique event, like the, especially the evolution of some of the, I guess, the skiing sports and how, you know, basically it's just X games on, on the snow. Um, and it's I I've just really enjoyed watching some of those events, but but yeah, Townsville's a funny place too. That's rugby league or die up here. So the current chatter around town is the upcoming NRL season and the Cowboys' uh, quest for a uh, another championship. So um, yeah, if you need me, I'll be uh, I'll be watching footy uh, footy games after footy games after footy games. <laughs> well, shout out to Alex. I stand corrected. What about um, yeah. what about us? I love the moguls, Susanna. I just love anything that jumps and yeah. skis, to be honest. I mean, I, I like the snowboards too, like the half pipe. Um, but just some, there's a certain element when you see all those tricks on skis that just, you know, brings joy to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a fun time. Yeah. Well, why don't we leave part one yeah. there? We've had a really, really in-depth chat. We went in more depth into the um, professional development, the pathway and the reflection on what it's actually like to be a sports physio I uh, didn't know where it would go, and I'm really happy that we went in that direction and, you know, we got to access your expertise and your your stories. So thanks very much to Mick, Randall, and Susanna for your input here on Physio Foundations. We're going to continue and talk about ACLs and learn.physio in the next chat, so stick around for next week. Make sure you subscribe and like and share and do all those things that we want you to do. But until next time, um, thanks very much, Mick, and thanks, Randall and Susanna. Welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks, Steve.